0: Our message today comes from the Gospel of Daniel, chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. Hear these words. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine. So he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. Now God allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace master. The palace master said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king. He has appointed your food and your drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young men of your own age, you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel asked the guard from the palace master who had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servant for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You can then compare our appearance "'with the appearance of the young men who eat royal rations "'and deal with your servants according to what you observe.' "'So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for ten days. "'At the end of ten days it was observed that they appeared better and fatter "'than all the young men who had been eating the royal rations. "'So the guard continued to withdraw their royal rations "'and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables.' To these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight to all visions and dreams. At the end of the time that the king had set for them to be brought in, the palace master brought them into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among them all, no one was found to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they were stationed in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel continued there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: I wonder if you've ever had a rough, rough day. I mean, maybe 2020 was, uh, I don't know, a rough year for you. I know it was for me. What have you ever had one of those moments where, like, nothing was going your way? Well, that happened to a guy named Daniel once. And I'm not talking like a bad day, like, his team may not make the playoffs. Come on, Indianapolis Colts, <laughs> do well. I'm talking like, they were exiled from their homeland, forcibly removed, bad day. There is cultural upheaval in your life, sort of bad day. His land destroyed by war, bad day. The temple, the, the place where he would worship, his home church, pillage, destroyed, bad day. They even make him change his name. Imagine, like, sitting around at the bar and, like, you can't call your buddy by their first name. You've got to call them by, like, their Babylonian name. That's, like, the kind of bad day that Daniel was having. We're going to be uh, beginning this series on the book of Daniel uh, for the next four weeks, as you heard Pastor Peter talk about a little bit earlier. And Daniel is, um, for lack of a better word, it's a really tough book of the Bible, When we uh, sat down a couple months ago to talk about what we wanted to preach on, we, for some strange reason, decided to preach on Daniel. And I think we bit off maybe more than we can chew. It's a really, really interesting book of the Bible. Uh, It's like half court tales, half political intrigue, half prophecy. And there's all this sort of other stuff wrapped up in the book of Daniel. There's even this weird apocalyptic, apocryphal stuff with like a dragon, and it gets strange and super weird. Well, remember that um, almost all of Daniel was written in Hebrew, and it's even a, a weirder book of the Bible because chapters two through seven are in Aramaic. And I never studied Aramaic in school, so I'm leaning pretty heavily on some scholars uh, as we uh, look at this text. Um, It's an old book of the Bible. It's about 2,600 years old. And the events happen around this guy named King Nebuchadnezzar, who ruled over Babylon in 600 B.C., give or take a couple of decades or whatever. So the whole thing... Uh, to really understand the Book of Daniel, you need to understand a little bit of history around Israel. Now, before uh, your eyes glaze over, before you fall asleep, I promise, I think it 's fascinating, it 's interesting stuff. You will remember, to, we can do this together, that uh, Saul and David and Solomon, they were like the king of the kingdom of Israel, And then something happens, we don 't get into the details, and the kingdom splits. There's a northern kingdom ruled by different kings. And then there's the southern kingdom, or the tribe of Judah. And that's like the the lineage from David. Now, the the tribe of Judah is important. It's very important in the book of Daniel. And it's important to us as Christians, because this is where all the prophecies come out of, that there will be one coming out of the tribe of Judah. And this is the Messiah. It's the Christ. And so this is uh, Daniel comes out of this lineage, this tribe. It's uh, important to understand the book of Daniel. And this uh, story, this book of Daniel, is uh, it's all about God's people living in exile, and it's rooted in history. And so for me, when I encounter a book of the Bible and it's sort of uh, got a bunch of names that I have a hard time pr- pronouncing and it's got places that sound like they're out of Narnia or Harry Potter, I'm like, I, I don't know. Was this stuff real or is, does that matter or not? And these questions begin to kind of churn up for me. And I wonder if you've ever had a moment like that. And so this, uh, this book of Daniel, I'm, I'm wondering, this, this question I have, um, was Daniel... Like a, a real person? The stuff that he did, the things that he encountered, the, the, the troubles that he had, did it happen? Is he, is he real? Because, because we know that King Nebuchadnezzar is real. There's archaeological evidence that would support that outside of the Bible. We know that that Babylon was a a real place, and uh, there's lots of archaeological evidence to support that. There's not a a whole lot outside of our um, scriptural, canonical stories that would um, tell us about Daniel. And part of me says that it doesn't really matter if Daniel was historical, real, or not. And part of me says it does matter. Part of me says that, well, a lot of the biblical authors think Daniel's real, and and that's good enough for me. So I'm wrestling with that today. I'm wrestling with this idea, like, how historical are these stories that we're going to encounter in the next few weeks? But I want to set that aside and say I think there's something really powerful about this story in the Old Testament. Something really powerful about the life of Daniel... And that we have an opportunity to learn from today. I think that as we hear these stories fresh and God's spirit illuminates it for us, that it changes how we live and it changes who we are. And we have an opportunity to see how God is faithful in those stories and how Daniel is faithful as well. And they um, illustrate and illuminate for us different ways of living. So, I want us to wrestle with that as we go about this series in the next couple weeks. Today, I want us to focus on what's happening in this opening scene in Daniel chapter 1, and as it gives us a glimpse into Daniel's life, and then I want us to focus on what Daniel can teach us today. So, it begins with his homeland being destroyed, and he's exiled. Apparently, Daniel was from uh, some sort of noble family in the tribe of Judah, Um, and then the worst fates happen. They're forced to go to public school, <laughs> much like myself, maybe like you. They gotta go to public school and uh, they don't know what to do with that. They're used to it sort of a different people group, a different um, social circle. And uh, they have to submit to something called a, a Chaldean culture. Again, I'm not gonna bore you with all the details, but there's other subcultures in Babylon and they have to take on new names and they have to take on new eating habits. And this is the rub for Daniel and his homeboys. The king uh, apparently had a law that you had to kind of eat. If you were in the court of the king, you had to eat from this particular food or this particular drink. And for Daniel, this is a little bit of an issue. And we'll remember that they all changed their names, right? I'm going to refer to him as Daniel because I can't really pronounce the Assyrian name. But it's like Belteshazzar. Hannah is Shadrach, Mishael is Meshach, and Azariah is Abednego. Um, but if I keep referring back to Daniel, you'll have to forgive me. That's just what it. Is. That's who he is. Um, that's who he is to me. So this food is an issue because Daniel is a good Jew, and he observes Torah law, and he eats kosher. And so this food is ill-prepared. It's unclean. And Daniel cannot partake of it because And then he would... Um, He would take on the sort of sin or guilt of those animals. It's complicated, and so he can't do it. He'd become ritually unclean himself. And so he has to ask for a special diet. He asked for a kosher diet. And at first, the head of the palace is like, that ain't going to happen. Because if your health is in danger, my health is in danger. And then Daniel is a little insistent, and he asks the guard, and the guard says, okay, we'll give it a trial run. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll try it for like 10 days and see how it goes. And it goes, fine. And this raises a question for me. Did Daniel and his friends not take issue with the other kind of cultural and non-Jewish stuff that was being shoved down their throats? I mean, why didn't he ask to ab- abstain from their pagan schooling? Or why didn't he ask to abstain from their pagan literature? Or why didn't he ask to abstain from their pagan culture? And I think there's a pretty simple reason why he didn't ask to do any of those things. Probably because there's no biblical prohibition against those things. There's no such thing as pagan schooling or pagan literature or pagan culture. All wisdom is God's wisdom. So Daniel asks the head of the palace to abstain from the food, and it's granted. The guard allows it. And this raises a couple uh, observations for me out of this first chapter, some things that I noticed that I hope you do as well. The first one is there is this role of God's providence in the life of Daniel. And if we're honest, sometimes we fail to see the role of God's providence in our life. God's providence looks like a lot of things. And when we begin to point it out and put our finger on it, it builds gratitude in us as we see God's hand at work. It might be a friend at the right time. Maybe a a deposit in your bank account when you needed it. It could be a timely interview or maybe a phone call with a family member. All those things are signs of God's providence in your life. You just have to open your eyes and see God at work. Do not miss God's providential hand in your life and don't miss God's providential hand in the life of Daniel as we examine it in these coming weeks. Something else that I noticed uh, before we ask ourselves exactly what we can learn from this story from Daniel is there is this whole question of loyalty in the first chapter. There's this question, of who is Daniel going to be loyal to? Who are his buddies going to be loyal to? Who are they going to kind of take sides with? Are they going to side with Judah, God, And God's people, or are they going to sign with King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and what are they going to do? And Daniel, uniquely enough, chooses a sort of third option, a third way. He doesn't act as like a a spy. There's no subterfuge. There's no sabotage. He just does what the king asks of him, and then he does it to the best of his ability, and I wonder if you hear St. Paul's words whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God the Father. Daniel is just faithful to the task before him, and in his faithfulness to that task, what he does is he honors God. He doesn't honor a king of a nation, he doesn't say, I'm over here as an Israelite, look at me, I'm gonna stand against you. He just is faithful to Yahweh, he is faithful to God and the calling that God has placed on his life. It's higher than any other allegiance to any other nation that he happens to be living in at that time. It's in his duty and his action that he glorifies Yahweh. This shows Daniel's loyalty to Yahweh, a theme that we will return to again and again and again in the story of Daniel. So, as I'm thinking about this uh, chapter and I'm wondering how does it impact me today, what are some things that I can learn from the life of Daniel? and Daniel's example, I really am indebted to Paul Metzger for his insight on a couple of things that I think are good takeaways for us this morning. The first is, That we, like Daniel, should be faithful to what the Bible says we should do. Like uh, Daniel with the food, for example. And on the same side of that coin, or on the uh, other side of that coin, rather, we should also be flexible with what is permissible. Right? Daniel, he keeps kosher law. He says, the Bible says, I can't eat that. I feel convicted here, and I cannot change my conviction But then he has great flexibility in all other areas of his life because there is liberty there. The second thing I think that I can learn from Daniel and begin to put in practice in my life is that we should be respectful to those whom we serve, but not obey them unquestioningly. And I think that that's really powerful. Again, this is not a, a spoiler alert. Uh, if you are familiar with Daniel, you know about the fiery furnace. You, you might know about like the, the lion's den and all this other stuff that we're going to talk about a little bit. But Daniel is faithful or um, he obeys or he respects the person that he serves, the, the king, the government. But he does not obey them unquestionably. If he, he can be a little bit of a rabble rouser. He can go against the grain. He can say, that is morally wrong. I'm not going to do that. Uh, and there are consequences for standing up for what he believes in. And I think Daniel is um, an example of that. The third is we should be confident that God is in control. We should be confident that God is in control remember that Daniel is uprooted from his homeland, and he's put in a foreign land, and the temple's burned or looted, and all of his friends are scattered everywhere, his family's scattered everywhere, and he's probably wondering what good God would allow this to happen. And God is faithful and close to his people, even in exile. And God continues to provide for his people, even in in exile. And God hears the cry of his people, even in exile. I think Daniel teaches us that God is in control and God is near, even when we cannot see it or we do not feel like it. And Daniel is faithful to that. We serve a mighty God whose mighty hand continues to guide us, even in the midst of great uncertainty.